Erwin, I hope those aren't to throw at me. <laughs> it's very exciting. I'm not used to having a crowd. Is everybody back? It looks like it. I don't see anybody in the narthex. So I think we'll be okay. Up oh, here comes someone. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, on this first Saturday, why don't we get started with this uh, last part here with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant us through the same Spirit a love and relish for what is right and just, and a constant enjoyment of his consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, immaculate heart of Mary, St. Francisco and St. Jacinta and servant of God, Lucia, pray for us. St. Norbert, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll say St. Norbert, it is his feast day, and I completely forgot to mention that earlier, so I apologize. Uh, it's great to have you all here. I'm excited to get to do something like this and not to a completely empty church. So this is wonderful, and it's good to see you all. And I guess this is the third time we've done this now with a little bit of an extended meditation at the end of First Saturday, kind of bringing the luminaries together here at Sacred Heart in Northern Virginia and in Indiana. I think I heard in Germany and in Brazil and in Portugal. And so it's good to have everybody with us today. I'm just grateful to get to share this time with you. And I'll tell you, you know, with the last few, we had a couple of sort of like ready-made topics, so to speak. The first one, uh, we talked about like the temptations of Christ and um, frankly, it was like a homily series I had written that completely had to be scrapped because the COVID thing happened and the whole world ended. And so I was like, well, let's just turn it into a talk. So that's what we did the first time. And then last month, uh, I gave a talk on the first Saturday devotions, uh, which I really enjoyed. It was good for me to get to do the research and bring that out. But today, in talking with Frank Spicer and Mary Sample about and what would be the appropriate topic for today? And we had a few different ideas just in light of, you know, just everything that's going on worldwide. The fact that, you know, in June, to talk about the June apparitions at Fatima of our Blessed Mother to the Shepherd Children. And also, uh, just, you know, within the uh, Alianza de Santa Maria, uh, it's been a tough month. Um, as you all know, I think I, I shared with the whole parish um, and anybody who's in the luminaries knows, uh, young sister Marta, who is only 35, passed away on May 17th after, uh, on May the 13th, at Mass for the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, suffered a brain aneurysm. And it's sort of in the vein of that that kind of generated this talk a little bit. And I have to warn you ahead of time, it's a lot of personal reflections um, because this hit me personally a lot harder than I expected it to. And I mean, that may sound bad, and I, I guess the reason I say it that way is, as you all know, I mean, I'm a Catholic priest. I mean, part of my literal job 
is seeing people off. You know, between anointing the sick and celebrating funeral masses and, you know, just being there as folks pass away. And there are certain times, like anybody who is here at the Mass for All Souls Day knows, that there are just times where it just hits you like a tidal wave, you know? And I know in the midst of the Eucharistic prayer on the Feast of All Souls, I just broke down. And I think it's one of those things where it's a good thing to recognize. Um, and I don't, and I'm not trying to like draw all this attention to me personally, but I mean, it's, the fact of the matter is, you know, we live in a fallen world. Uh, we live in one in which there are perpetual dangers and difficulties and sadness. And there are a lot of temptations that we have to deal with that. And I admit that the title that we put out there for this talk today is kind of provocative in the uh, sight of everything that's been going on, especially as we're encouraged to wear masks and use hand sanitizer and stay away from each other. Um, what we called it was, we are called to so much more than safety. And I'm not just trying to like, I'm not like poking fun at the, you know, the things that we've been doing because I know it's, uh, it's been a tricky time. And I'll tell you, I, I know, at least speaking as a priest, the thing that scares me isn't getting sick myself but being the reason that someone else gets sick, you know? And I think this whole aspect of COVID, you know, rendering someone asymptomatic and yet they could pass it on. And so my biggest fear as a priest is not getting sick. I mean, you think about the great saints like St. Damien Malachi who served the lepers, right? He wanted to go in there and the man got leprosy himself. I'm cool getting COVID myself. The last thing I want to do, though, is pass it on to one of you. You know, like, I don't want you to get sick because of interaction with me. I'm fine getting sick because of interaction with you, but it's that danger of going the opposite way. You know, you don't want to inflict that hardship on someone else. But anyway, we've been in a time, and I've heard a line a lot um, from some that, you know, your safety is our greatest priority. Now, for some, that is true. Doctors, you know, uh, police officers, you know, people out there in various professions where they're dealing with the public. Yes, your safety is a huge import. For me as a priest, your safety is not my greatest priority. Um, I'm not saying that it's not important. I mean, if I knew that this church was essentially condemned, I wouldn't say, come on in, everybody, let's, you know, put our lives at risk. It's not that. But we are called to so much more than safety. We're called ultimately to become saints. We're called ultimately to the fulfillment of love. You know, we're called to all that that means. And quite frankly, that's leaving safety aside in a certain matter of fact way. Because anytime you enter into love, there is an aspect of vulnerability. There is the reality that you will be hurt. And when Sister Marta passed away on May 17th, the phrase or the quote that kept coming to my mind was one of my absolute favorite quotes of all time from C.S. Lewis. I know you're all shocked, but he has so many just wonderful ways of, you know, summarizing things. But I think this is probably the best thing he ever wrote. And this is in the book, The Four Loves. And I want to start off with this and just kind of jump off from it as kind of a theme for our reflections today. He says this, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it 
to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And I just have always really appreciated that beautiful quote about the dangers and the risks of what it means to love. I mean, that line is so strong about love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung or possibly be broken. And I say that because, as I said, on May 17th, and God is so good, because uh, that was the Sunday, I took the afternoon off, May 18th, that Monday was the first day since all this started, that I was just not coming in for a public mass here at Sacred Heart to live stream. I was at home, I was alone for the first time, because Darren and Joseph, who've kind of been my shadows for the last like two and a half months, um, God knew when I needed to not have my shadow like Peter Pan for a little while, right? Um, because when I got that news that evening, and actually this was a blessing, it came from one of our parishioners, uh, because the sisters, to get it out, just put it up on Facebook first. And one of our parishioners texted and said, I'm so sorry. And I said, so sorry about what? And I literally had no idea. And she said, oh my God, you don't know. And she told me, and then I was able to call some other friends and let them know. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I sat there on the back patio of my parents' house, and I just wept. And, you know, I would have been fine if it was in front of Darren and Joseph. I'm not that worried about it. But, you know, sometimes our Lord knows what we need when we need it. And why I say it was so shocking to me is because, I mean, you all know I love the sisters, right? I love going up to Ann Arbor and spending time with the Dominican sisters. I love going to Portugal and seeing the Alianza sisters. And there's so many others that I've, had, I've been blessed to know over the years. But Sister Marta was one that I think in the last three years I have gotten to interact with precisely four times. And to be honest with you, her English isn't great. My Portuguese is even worse. And I would say we have probably spent a total of, I don't know, 45 minutes together in the totality of life. And yet, when that young woman passed away, it just hurt, you know, in a, in a big way. And I was like sitting there and just trying to figure out, you know, the pain. Why is this there? Why am I feeling so wrong and having my heart so broken? And at the same time, it kind of came to me that it's like, you know, with that vulnerability, with that openness to loving and getting to know the people that our Lord places in our life, we have the risk of having that happen. And C.S. Lewis, I think, marks it so well that any time we're going to enter into any kind of relationships, we are leaving ourselves open to that kind of hurt. But at the same token... The thing that I kept focusing on was why in the world 
do I even know this sister in the first place, right? She lives on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. She was born in Guimarães in the like northern part of Portugal. You know, we're a couple years apart. Um, you know, it's, it's this like random coming together of all of these different things that even put us in the same place at the same time a couple of times and had us interested in the same person looking together in the same way, having some similar friends, why was I even blessed to get to have that kind of a relationship in the first place? And as the funeral rite says at the end, you know, we give you thanks, almighty God, for the good things that you bestowed upon the person we're saying goodbye to. They are signs to us of your goodness and of our fellowship with the saints in Christ. And the reality is, is that in this life, we have the gift of getting to participate at all in all of these incredible interactions. All of these people that are around us who, like us, have immortal souls, who are moving on towards eternity, in eternity of life, eternity of death, one way or the other, they're moving on and God as he created them in their image and created each of them in his image and likeness, has allowed us to get to know them, to get to be around them. That each and every day gives us this opportunity to, yes, put ourselves at risk, to be vulnerable, to have some entanglements, so to speak, with the people he places into our lives. And as we spend time with them, as we grow in love, of course we grow deeper and deeper, but there is that knowledge that nobody lives forever, right? And that's why C.S. Lewis even says, if you want to make sure that your heart will never be broken, you can't give your heart to anybody, not even to a pet. Why? Because the pets are going to die too, right? We know that things do come to an end in this life. But the beautiful thing to remember you know, as we you know, are at the, the tail end of the Pentecost time, right, of the, the octave of Pentecost, at the end of the Easter season, is that this isn't where it all ends. That ultimately, you know, as I said, those relationships that we have the opportunity to get to be a part of are signs to us of God's goodness, of our fellowship with the saints in Christ. They're foretastes of what is going to come. Now, in the midst of moving through this life, we know that there will be many times that our hearts will be wrung and broken. I want to tell you about uh, what happened on the 13th of June uh, in Fatima, in the COVID area, that, that second time that Mary appeared to the shepherd children. They asked her once again, will we go to heaven? And Mary said this, Yes, I will take Jacinta and Francisco soon, but speaking to Lucia, but you are to stay here some time longer. Jesus wishes to make use of you to make, no, make me known and loved. He wants to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. Now, when Sister Lucia hears that, right, that her best friends in the world, Jacinta and Francisco, will go to heaven soon, but she is going to have to stay a little while longer. Obviously, there's joy, you know, in the fact that her friends are going to go to heaven, but at the same time, that sorrow of knowing that she has to stay a little while longer. And I don't mean to spoil the surprise, but that little while 
is almost 87 years, okay? So in God's time, a little while is a little bit longer than our little while. And of course, our Blessed Mother knows what she's feeling, knows what she's thinking, and she says this to her, my daughter, are you suffering a great deal? Don't lose heart. I will never forsake you. My immaculate heart will be your refuge and the way that will lead you to God. Our Lord knows what he has in store for each and every one of us. And for each and every one of us, it's something a little bit different, right? I mean, he's calling us in all of these different places, calling us to move on deeper and deeper into his love. I'll tell you, just kind of reflecting on deeper and deeper, as I think you all know that are here, yesterday was my 10th anniversary of priesthood, and I feel very, very blessed to get to celebrate that, you know, decade anniversary. It's an exciting thing. And as a priest, you know, there are many times that I have to recognize this reality of what it means to love and what that vulnerability brings about. Because sometimes the greatest sources of my suffering are also the greatest openings to new life and love. I think that the hardest thing in the life of a priest is having to say goodbye, is getting moved on to a new parish. And just as an aside, I don't think I'm getting moved, so it's okay. I'm not like prepping you for this, okay? That's, that's the whole reason for this talk. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but in those 10 years, you know, this is my third parish. Thanks be to God, it's only three in 10 years. But when I had to leave Our Lady of Grace, it killed me. I hated to have to say goodbye. I loved the kids in the school. I loved being a part of everything. Was it a tough time? You bet it was. I mean, there were some really hard moments in the midst of that. If anybody's watching from Our Lady of Grace, they know. My second year there was so hard as we were in between principles and working through all sorts of things. And it was excruciating. But in the midst of those difficult times, I formed some very strong friendships. I grew as a priest in trusting our Lord and, hey, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And if you don't do that, you're just going to stay stuck. And then after two years, I had to say goodbye. And the bishop moved me to St. John the Baptist in Tryon. And I will say, when I got there... (laughs) It was the closest thing to being retired at 28 that you could come. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's right in the the mountains. As my friend Father David McConey likes to say, it's in the escarpment, which is literally the phrase that of the mountains, like the the toes, like where the the mountain is kind of coming to an end. Um, Parish of about 400 400 families, I think. The church was the size of our narthex. Um, Beautiful place. We could leave it open 24 hours a day. I got to go around and give talks because, believe it or not, it wasn't super busy. I mean, but I got to know people and be there with them. And once again, you know, be there for uh, First Communion and Faith Formation. We started the Adoration during Faith Formation. And, you know, and, and I'll just give you this one example. Um, I remember one day where I learned a very valuable lesson. This wonderful couple... His name was Henry. He was like six foot nine. I mean, he, he could have been a, you know, a center basketball player. And his wife was like four foot two. And they were just like the cutest couple you'd ever want to see. And after mass, they invited me to come up to their house for dinner. And I said, thank you so much. But I was just beat, you know. It was like had the three masses. We had a span. It's almost the same schedules we have here at Sacred Heart. And so we had the Spanish mass as well. And believe it or not, my Spanish has actually gotten a little better. It was so hard in the beginning. But I was beat. And I was like, you know, I don't think I can today. But hey, maybe later this week, you know, let's, let's get together. 
Well, later that day, Henry had a heart attack and he passed away. And I felt so bad not to get to get to do that with him, you know? It was like it just, they were there for a little while and then he wasn't. And the thing I loved about Henry too, like I said, it was a tiny church and we had a permanent baptismal font just like we do here at Sacred Heart, but it was in the main aisle of the church. And Henry was a giant man and we couldn't bring the casket in through the front because the baptismal font blocked it. So he had to, like, like how we have a side door here, he had to just be brought in in front of the altar and brought out. And I was able to say during that homily that, you know, most people, we have a hard time getting them into church when they're alive, but when they're dead, it's easy. Not with Henry. Henry was easy. He was there all the time, except for when he died. It was really tough to get him in the church. Uh, but, you know, it's like just getting to know those sort of people, getting to be a part of those lives, it was awesome. But then in 2014, I mean, I was shocked to find out that I was going to be leaving. You know, it's one of those things when you become a pastor, you expect to be there a good long time. And actually, I remember making the sarcastic comment to one of my priest brothers, because I was always told, don't unpack the last box, because as soon as you do, the bishop's going to call until you got to move. And I said to my friend, Father Frank Sebo, I was like, ah, like I just unpacked the last box yesterday. It's all good. I'm here for a while. I got a call the next day. And I was coming to Sacred Heart. By the way, I still have several boxes packed. Um, and, you know, saying goodbye to St. John the Baptist was excruciating. It was so difficult. I didn't want to say goodbye to those people. I was blessed to be a part of their lives for a while. But then, you know, our Lord, through the bishop, called me on here to Sacred Heart. And anybody knows that it's not like the last six years have been a walk in the park. There have been ups and downs and difficulties and all sorts of things to encounter. And yet... I can't imagine my life without all of those things, right? Without my heart being wrung and even broken, without the ups and the downs of having to say goodbye to so many people and walking them through those difficult times, that in the face of it, when you look back, let's say, it's almost like you wish you could say to yourself so many years ago, you know, either, what are you doing? Don't do that. Or, it's okay. You'll make it. Our Lord knows how to lead us through those things. And the reason why I think this is so good to reflect on during this particular month, and especially in light of what Mary said to Sister Lucia, was, are you suffering a great deal? You know, she knew that she would lose her best friends in the world, Francisco and Jacinta. But at the same time, she said, don't lose heart. I will never forsake you. And that's what we have to recognize, is that we will never be forsaken, that we are not alone, that God calls us to so much more than safety. He doesn't want us to become cynical or to get to that point where we're so afraid of being hurt that as C.S. Lewis says, we take our heart and wrap it up in the casket of our own selfishness, that we bring it inside and never let ourselves feel anymore, right? But the danger with that is, is that eventually it becomes, as he says, unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. That our Lord wants us to continue on. He wouldn't have told us, if you will be my disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily, right? If he, if he didn't love us, he wouldn't say that. 
And yet, it's so hard to hear, right? We don't want to take up our cross. It's a difficult thing. We don't want to move on to that next thing a lot of the time. I know I've told this story before, and I'm sorry to go to like so many personal stories today. That's kind of like the nature of this, I guess. Uh, I have this vivid memory, and I almost think about it from like, you know, like when you talk about like an out-of-body experience, I think I remember it this way because I've heard it told so many times from the perspective of my mother. But when we were growing up, we lived in Decatur, Illinois until 1991. And so that means I was in the, what was it, preschool until third grade in Decatur, Illinois. And we lived close enough to Our Lady of Lords Catholic School that I could ride my bike back and forth to school. And at that time, believe this or not, I don't know how this would work today, we were allowed to leave for lunch. Can you imagine that? Like, okay, first grader, go on home. We'll see you in 45 minutes. Like, I just, I don't see that happening anymore. But anyway, we were allowed to do this, right? So I'd ride my bike home for lunch. And man, did I not want to go back, you know? And I'd sit in the garage and I would just sit there on my bike and I would just cry and not want to go back. And my mom tells a story, and this is why I think I remember it like from out of body experience, where she would just like go back in the house and shut the door. Now, she had it open a crack and was watching me. But you know, like I'm just like trying to pull on her heartstrings to get to stay, to just be there. And she wouldn't allow it, you know? I needed to go and complete the first grade. You know, I mean, that had to happen for the next step and the next step. And the thing is, ultimately, I know it was harder on her than it was on me. I mean, I know I had to, like, overcome it and just, you know, swallow the tears and go back to school. And this is a sad thing. It's not like I was, like, being beaten at school or anything. I just really didn't want to go. And she'd make me pick up my cross in the form of my bike and ride back, right? And thank God she did that. I mean, she didn't just let me stay at home and, and you know, let me stay in the casket of my own selfishness. She pushed me to go out into the challenge that was school. And our Lord does things like this with us all the time, you know? We don't want to take the next step. We know that it's going to hurt. We know it's going to be difficult. But it's in the difficulty that we grow. It's in the embrace of those around us that we continue to grow in love. Does that mean that our heart will be wrung and even broken? Yeah, it probably does. We live in a fallen world. We're not perfect towards each other. Any kind of engagement and entanglement is going to involve some self-sacrifice and some difficulty. But the good thing to remember in the midst of that is it's not like our Lord is like punishing us for no reason at all. No, I mean, he showed us the way. And that's what I love about this with what our Blessed Mother says to Lucia. Even though Francisco and Jacinta will be moving on towards heaven, Mary will be there. Do not lose heart. I will never forsake you. My Immaculate Heart will be your refuge in the way that will lead you to God. And I would say that we all need to remember that in the fact that so often in our lives, when things do get so difficult, and we feel alone, and we have that wrung heart and that broken heart. It's like, what do we do? This was such a good thing in kind of going back to reflecting on the passing of Sister Marta. I'm so blessed to have my dear friend, Father Paul McNulty, and just kind of sharing with him back and forth. And I said, you know, it's just like my, my heart hurts, you know? It's just, it's such a hard thing. And yet, what was happening, I think, was our Lord was drawing me deeper and deeper. It's like, yeah, come for the consolation. 
Be here with me. I too have suffered. I too know what it's like to long for you. It's like what Mother Teresa's sisters have painted in all of their chapels. Right above the crucifix it says, I thirst. What is he thirsting for? Our salvation, our happiness, our holiness and fulfillment. And we get that by imitating him. And the beautiful thing is too, as we go to him who's standing right by him, but her, our blessed mother. She's right there helping us to stand at the foot of the cross where it is so difficult. And he doesn't say for a minute, it won't be tough, you know? Hey, don't worry about it, it's all easy. No, it's not. But she knows and she's right there. I want to read you just the brief paragraph that kind of sums up the end of the June apparition and what happens. This is from Father Andrew Apostoli's book, Fatima for Today. He says this, the apparition ends with a heavenly light. As soon as Our Lady finished speaking, she opened her hands and communicated to the children an immense light that enveloped them, as happened at the end of the first apparition. In this light, the children saw themselves submerged in God. Jacinta and Francisco appeared to be in a part of the light that was rising to heaven, while Lucia was in a light spreading over the earth. This vision confirmed what Our Lady had just told the children about the future. Finally, the children saw the heart of Our Lady surrounded with piercing thorns, which represented the offenses committed against her. These were the sins that needed reparation, and the children were eager to offer it. Now, the reason why I share that part right there is in talking about the nature of love, the vulnerability that it implies, the fact that we know that to love anything, to love anyone, is to risk our hearts being wrung and even broken, is because when God asks for something, he doesn't just do it in a distanced, objective, faraway sort of way, right? He does it first. You know, when you think about what's going on, the sacred heart of Jesus, right? How blessed we are to have a church called the Sacred Heart. When you look at the Sacred Heart, what's one of the things that you notice? A, the crown of thorns, and B, the wound, right? That he was stabbed in the side, as we read in the Gospel of John, that they opened up his side and outpoured blood and water. Our Lord loved us so much. He told St. Catherine of Siena, who asked, why did that have to happen? And he said, I wanted to show that I loved you more than I could show by nearly dying on the cross alone. I loved you beyond death, that even in death, I wanted to be pierced open for love of you. That he doesn't just demand things without, for lack of a better phrase, putting skin in the game. That his heart is open with love for us. That he first is willing to be vulnerable. And then of course, who is the greatest of all disciples, who loves him more than anyone? His blessed mother, who as we heard Simeon say, her heart would be pierced by a sword, by a sword of sorrow, right? That she loved so much that you know, she, she died to self. She gave her whole self to him. And we know that, you know, there she is, you know, enthroned in heaven. Our Lord sits at the right hand of the Father. That to love in that way is the highest thing that we can strive for. That ultimately it is the greatest gift that we know that to love one another is part of that. First comes, though, we have to love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, to give him our everything, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. 
Why isn't it the reverse? Because our neighbors, too, are like us. They're going to die. They're going to pass away. And it's not cruel to say something like this because they're utterly attached. But first comes that love of the one who's loving us into existence, who loved us so much to be vulnerable himself, to put himself at risk at dying for our sake, of loving us so much and even weeping over Jerusalem. Because even in the midst of that love, so many demanded to just stay in that safe casket of their own selfishness with hearts that were unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. So what's his response to that? To break open his own heart, to give us his all, and to show us how to live in a way that, yes, will involve pain, but that pain will be redeemed into the resurrection, into eternal life. I'm going to quote from you from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's tough. It's a tough teaching. I mean, really, when we talk about you know, God is love, it sounds like a Hallmark card, and it sounds like a nice little thing, but I mean, love a terrible thing. It's a hard thing to be engaged in. I mean, as C.S. Lewis put it so well, love anything and your heart will be wrung, may even be broken, right? We know that engaging in love, true self-sacrificial love, will involve ultimately the cross. But laying down our lives like that, staying close to him, ultimately brings about the greatest flowering in love that we can experience. We know that it's tough, but as Mary said, do not lose heart. I will never forsake you. And that's where I think it ultimately comes back together that our devotional life, our staying close to our Lord with the help of our Blessed Mother, with the help of all of the saints who have gone before us, and as has been mentioned before, I think in particular the shepherd children are very helpful. I said it recently when we had a room over in the school that I think needs a name when I said, I think we should name it for St. Francisco. I like the shepherd children. And probably one of the greatest compliments I've gotten in a long time, when I said, I really love the shepherd children, I heard, yeah, think? <laughs> it was great, right? I mean, that's, that's a good thing. I like that a lot better than I'm gonna go golfing because I love golfing, yeah, think? Yeah, I love the, the shepherd children. That makes me feel a lot better, right? Not that golfing's bad, we'll leave that aside. Please don't tell, tell Darren Dolkowski I just said that. Um, but ultimately, to know that of those, you know, the deepest reality of setting out into that kind of love, will we have to say goodbye sometimes? Yes, we know that. And it is a tough thing, and there will be tears. But the fact of the matter is, we're not alone in those tears. We know that, as we said, saying at the end of the Salve Regina, we're in the valley of tears. But the beautiful thing is, is we're not abandoned to the tears. That part of the cross is those tears, but through the cross comes the resurrection, where we cannot move on towards that without first being vulnerable, without first loving with all of our hearts. But as I said before, I think the hardest part about being a priest is saying goodbye. One of the best things 
saying hello and getting to know new people, of getting to be a part of this next phase, right? Of eventually getting to the point where the little guy that you baptized, you're giving him first communion, right? And then giving him confirmation, you know, that you're saying goodbye, that you're keeping up with all these different things, that you have to say goodbye to different things, of course, but you move on towards the next thing. One of my other dear sister friends, Sister Joseph Andrew, always likes to say, we're made for eternity. And she usually says that when I'm having a hard time leaving the mother house up in Ann Arbor, right? When I have to come back. Not that I don't love coming home, but, you know, it's, it's always hard to say goodbye. I remember the early days when my niece was born, the very first of all my niece and nephews. And that was back when it was a really difficult time at Our Lady of Grace. And my God, when my sister would visit, it was like the greatest thing in the world. When she left... I felt like I was going to die. It was so hard to say goodbye to that little girl, you know, and to, to see her go up there, and I didn't ever want her to grow up. Now she's eight, you know, and I think she's going to receive First Communion down here, by the way. Kind of excited about that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's incredible that, yes, God takes certain things away. She's not a little baby anymore, but she's becoming a wonderful little girl, you know, and someday she'll be a wonderful young woman, and who knows all of the glories that will come from that, right? To love it all, it's tough. It's tough to say goodbye. It's tough to move on to the next phase. It's tough to move on towards that next thing. But we're made for eternity. And our Lord continues to call us through each of those moments and knows how hard it is. So what does he give us? His blessed mother. And just like she said to Sister Lucia, are you suffering a great deal? Don't lose heart. I will never forsake you. My immaculate heart will be your refuge and the way that will lead you to God. And one thing that we reflected on last time about the first Saturday devotion, she said to Sister Lucia, you know, you at least give consolation to my heart, right? Because Mary also, like our Lord, she didn't sort of excuse herself from the suffering and the difficulty. Her heart, as they saw in that apparition, was surrounded with thorns. You know, all of those thorns of all these people who she loves don't care about her, you know, utter blasphemies about her, you know, all these terrible things that happen towards Mary, you at least come and show me that love. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we do that, when we stay close to her, when she says to each one of us here, you at least love me, you at least have that devotion, the great thing is, is that we stay within the refuge of that Immaculate Heart. Does that mean that we're free from all dangers of love? No, absolutely, it doesn't. Because she's introducing us to love himself. But it calls for us not to lose heart. That even in the midst of that vulnerability, we're called on to a greater gift than mere safety. We're called into true life itself, everlasting life, that we'll experience when we move on to what we were made for, eternity. Our Lady loves us. Our Lord loves us. They want us to continue to move ever closer to them. And even though we know that there will be dangers and issues involved in our love, we know that. We know that we'll have to say goodbye to loved ones. We know that we'll move on from this phase to that. We know that there will be times that we have to say goodbye. Our Lord realizes that. But he reminds us through our Blessed Mother, do not lose heart. As I said about saying goodbye to my friend, Sister Marta, it was difficult. But at the same time, 
God allowed me to have that friend in the first place, that she actually was a part of my life, which is an incredible miracle and gift from God. The fact that all of you are a part of my life. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, for God's sakes. I didn't even know there was a Salisbury, North Carolina, right? But God knows what he's doing. He knows how to unfold these things, right? He knows how to make them available. What we ultimately have to do is to trust him, is to take the next step, is to recognize that, yes, there are dangers, but we can't lose heart, that he's with us all the time. And I'll just say in closing, because I think it helps so much, the practical value of the rosary, to continue to come back and to link the mysteries of our life with the mysteries of our Lord's and our ladies, because they won't let us down. They won't let us, you know, flounder out there in cold isolation. They'll be with us, moving us on into that deeper love. Are we in danger with that? Yeah, we are. Will we be hurt? Of course. But nevertheless, we're called to so much more than mere safety. We're called to the depths of real divine love. And our Lord will help us with that as long as we cling to him. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, immaculate heart of Mary, St. Francisco, St. Jacinta, and servant of God, Lucia, the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.